0: Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. This week I, uh, I received a, a strange request from a friend, a youth pastor friend of mine here in town. He said, um, I have a lady who is, I think the text said she, she might have been 90 years old. She was older. And um, she is in a nursing home, this is what the text said, and wants to be baptized you know where I can get my hands on basically a cattle trough so we can take a baptistry to her room. So we all began making some phone calls and I pointed him to a place where someone had pointed me to. Last night at 10 o'clock, I received a text. It was three pictures. And this guy, we're pretty close, so he knows I try to go to bed about 7.15 at night. Not quite that early, but when the, when the text came in at 10 o'clock, I was still up. And he said, hey, brother, I hope I'm not waking you up. But I had to share these pictures. And here is evidence of this baptistry cattle trough thing in what I can only imagine was her room. And my buddy Michael and uh, the lady's son, Chuck, were sitting there right beside her. And she's coming up out of the water in this room. And I just thought, what a great. Picture and great story of of someone embracing Jesus and someone wanting to um, just make the confession. I have I have been saved and redeemed by one who who loved me sacrificially and uh, offered himself up for me. And it was just a great story, so great that I just share that with you. Um, last week, if you were here, Mark, you know, Mark preached and did a great job. Mark, I'm still grateful. Um, been thinking about your message. We went home, and I was talking with Shan about Mark's message from Ephesians chapter five. He the first verse, first two verses. He went back a little bit into chapter four, but in essence, it was right there in the sweet spot of chapter five, verses one and two, which which is Paul's admonition for us to imitate God, right? And we would do so as we walk in love, as Christ loved us and offered Himself up for us, and I. I was talking to Shannon, and I jokingly said, it was truly a joke. I said, yeah, Mark Mark got to challenge us to imitate God by by walking in love and loving Jesus. And he, he spent his morning talking about the sacrificial love of Jesus. And then next week, I'm going to be standing before the people and challenging them to imitate God and, and run from sexual immorality and impurities and greed. And something's not quite... Fair about that is, was my take, but to be honest, the subjects are actually much more related than they may first appear. Um, both fall squarely underneath the heading of imitate god and we 've all of our songs this morning have have led us to worship and recognize the holiness of God in the gospel. And the words of life which point us and direct us to ways that we can walk in holiness and walk imitating the Lord. Listen, if believers are to imitate God, they will not only walk in love as we were admonished last week through Mark's message, but will also walk in holiness. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, John would later write, so... After Paul wrote this, John would later write in 1 John that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. I've been amazed in this whole house-building process that we're in that there may be 13 trillion different shades of white. I didn't realize that there were so many names for white, but it only requires one dot of another color to make pure white something else, right? And the same is true with sin. John would also record the words of Jesus in John chapter 8 verse 12 whereby Jesus of himself would say I am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life now we've already been challenged with this admonition throughout the book of Ephesians in a general sense right but as Paul continues to write to the believers in Ephesus, the church of Ephesus there, now in chapter 5 beginning in verse 3, he gets specific in his description of the characteristics and the fruits of life that are to be avoided by the follower of Christ. And frankly, they're not even to be named among the life of a Christian. So what Paul has to say in the following verses that we're going to look at, it is very pointed. It is very heavy. And it is as applicable today as it was when he wrote it, as Bill alluded to in his prayer, to the hyper-sexually charged first century city of Ephesus. And you would have to agree with me that more and more, the church reflects the culture we live in, as opposed to the holiness of God. So my prayer, may God give us ears to hear, And may He enrich us with faith to apply this text to our lives this morning. May He also help us run from sin. May He help us and empower us by His Spirit to imitate Him in holiness and to participate with Him in shining His light. Would you turn your attention to Ephesians chapter 5? I'm going to read a lot and try to cover a lot this morning. Um, starting with verse... I'm going to start where Mark began last week in verse 1 and read through verse 14. This is Ephesians chapter 5. If you're new to studying God's Word, you can flip through, find yourself in the New Testament, get through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and eventually you'll get to some books that say Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Find that Ephesians book. That's where we are, chapter 5. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now in verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness This is God's word for us, his people, and I'm grateful for it and ask for his help now to explain it. I'm going to be dividing this text and passage into two primary parts. The first will be from the first 10 verses, and that is to be holy. So I'm borrowing from verse 1 to continue the train of thought here. Be holy. And then the second half of what we're going to be talking about is be holy illuminating, right? So shine the light into and onto the darkness. Let me pause just for a second and under this umbrella of be holy, take you backwards to where we've already seen this and experienced this. A lot of y'all are continuing to work on our memory verses um, from the first chapter of Ephesians. And back in Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verses 3, we came across these words. It not only sets the stage for the glorious gospel, but it also reveals God's purpose in the gospel. Paul writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now listen to this. Why did he do this? That we should be holy and blameless. Before him, we fast forward to the end of the New Testament. We find a book called First Peter, and in that, Peter opens up his remarks and teachings that he's writing in those uh, two letters that he wrote with similar words speaking to the purpose of God working his sanctification in his people. Here's what he wrote in I'm sorry, in First Peter chapter 1 starting at verse 14. This is Peter talking. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions, he called it, of your former ignorance. So in other words, that's what you did before you were in the light. That's what you did before you were born again. That's what you did when you were enslaved by your flesh and the devil and the world. But he says, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And then he says this, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So he's calling his people, as Paul is calling his people, as God is calling all believers to be holy. To be holy is to be distinct, to be set apart, to be unique. From the world in which they live. So that's the umbrella of this first half of this passage. Be holy. You heard it last week. And if you weren't here last week, go to our webpage and listen to Mark's message where he clearly laid it out. That How can we begin to flesh that out? Well, first off, we can walk in love. So I'm also going to borrow from that very thing here and break my section of be holy up into two parts. The first being walk in love. Because that theme carries through what we're seeing this morning. Walk in love. And we'll see this in the first six verses of this text. I'm using, um, I'm about to use a word poison to describe some of these things that Paul tells us to avoid. Sexual immorality, impurity, coarse jesting, all of these things I'm going to use the word poison poison and I'm doing so borrowing from a Puritan pastor whose name was Thomas Goodwin who lived and preached during the 17th century. Thomas Goodwin explained this, that sexual immorality secretly, sorry about that, secretly conveys poison to a person's heart. Think about this. The the Tiptoeing in of the waters of sexual immorality is, is equal to injecting into a person's heart drip after drip after drip of life-stealing poison. So I want to kind of build upon that in just a few minutes. It struck me that as I was writing this out and working through this passage, that years ago I wrote a, read a book by a guy named Dan Webster, and I cannot remember the title of that book, but one little illustration he used in there has always stuck with me. Is it true? Who knows? Kind of go with this as the point that I'm trying to make with it, relaying what has stuck in my head all these years. He wrote about this little kid who was sitting on the bank of a creek and he's fishing. You know, probably my kind of fishing, right? Long pole, short string, big red bobber, short attention span. So I can just throw that little thing out into the water, and if it goes down, I'm going to yank that thing up. But other than that, I really have no skills in the world of fishing. I went fishing one time with some buddies from Fort Worth, Texas, and we drove over to Arkansas, where these guys were from, and we're standing on top of this boat. I mean, he's in the front of the boat, and I'm somewhere in a seat, and I'm I'm trying to fish like they are, this kind of bass fishing, and it seemed like every 10 seconds, they're yanking a massive bass into the water, and I'm just kind of doing nothing. I'm just mimitating them, and nothing is happening. So they could feel that fish hitting and yank it in, and, and I couldn't. My style of fishing is this child's style of fishing, right? Follow the bobber, bobber goes in the water, reel it in, hope for the best. But this kid, as he's fishing, he had found large worms, put it in the can, goes to the creek, reach in that can, take a big old giant worm, put it on the hook, throw it out there. And he does this all day, and he's catching things, and his, his hand is getting more and more sore as the day goes on. And as it turns out, as the story goes, it's not big, massive worms, but they're baby poisonous snakes. You begin to wonder if, huh, is this true or not? Go with me. But as this child is taking a little bit of poison from each bite that he takes in, he's getting more and more sick to the end of this child's life until they later find out what happened. Sad story. The reason I share it with you is not only to tell you what weird stories have stuck in my mind as I've read throughout my life, but isn't this how sin works? I think it's what Thomas Goodwin is getting at. What starts as an innocent glance, what starts as an innocent taste, What starts as a wondering eye or a wondering phone call or a late night, whatever the case may be, permeates our soul like a poison, killing us from the inside out. So Paul addresses that very thing. If you'll look at your text and this outline, I put number one under this as poisons to avoid as a believer. Poisons to avoid as a believer. Notice what the passage says again in verses 3 and 4. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Listen, many of these things overlap. Many of the words that we're Coming across in verses 3 and 4 overlap, so I won't take a deep dive to explain each of them, but I will touch on a few of them. The first one out of the gate is this, sexual immorality. This comes from the Greek word pornea, from which we get our word pornography. MacArthur writes about this word, that pornea refers to all sexual sin, and all sexual sin is against God and against godly love. Thus tying verse 3 to verses 1 and 2, where we were called, imitate God, walk in love just like Christ, who sacrificially gave himself up for us. I I do quotes there because I'm paraphrasing the remainder of verse 2. Now this is undeniably true, what, what MacArthur has said about this, right? That this is against God. This is against godly love. Because it is not only sexual immorality is not only an antonym to self-control but it also stands in total contrast to the selfless and sacrificial love of Christ right sexual immorality or sexual sin has the gratification of self as its aim it cares nothing about who is hurt or cares nothing about who is used. It cares nothing about the object of desire or the object of gazing or whatever the case may be. Um, and cares nothing about how they're used. Sacrificial love, on the other hand, which we learned about in verses 1 and 2 last week, has the good of others as its aim. And in the case of Jesus, not even death prevented His expression of love for others. This is why John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is why Jesus of himself referred to him as a good shepherd because nothing would prevent him from expressing his shepherding love, sacrificial love to his sheep. He says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now that's the truth. But we as people are prone to seeking for life in all the wrong places. We're seeking to find things that will scratch the itch that comes from within in our temptations and in our sin that can never satisfy. But Jesus came to provide life. And he offered his life, his own life, so that we who trust in him, might have it. Sexual immorality. Poison to avoid. Another poison to avoid that he mentions here is just, he blanketly says, all impurity. And then he says covetousness. So we have this overarching statement of things that he's making here in verse 3 that are to be avoided if we're going to walk in holiness. If we're going to imitate God. Covetousness. Seem, there seems to be a repeated pattern when it comes to greed and covetousness in in all of our lives, right? This pattern of, I want, I deserve, I demand. (laughs) Think about King Ahab in the Old Testament. King Ahab looks across the way, sees Naboth's vineyard and says, I want that. And then his wife begins to speak into him and says, well, you're the king, you deserve it. And then she begins to hatch a plan of taking it and securing it. Greed gone wrong. Think about two other men in the New Testament. Um, Herod the Tetrarch, Matthew chapter 14, and a guy named Felix. Felix was one of the last people that uh, Paul stood before and who had the authority to free Paul but didn't until he was handed over to someone else. So You've got two guys in the New Testament, one in Matthew and one in Acts, Herod the Tetrarch and a guy named Felix, both in power and both have something in common. If we were in a little small group, I'd say, what thing in common do these two men share? Which you may say, well, they are both men who coveted, desired, and took the wives of someone else and took them in as their own. Interestingly enough, Felix was the nephew of Herod the Tetrarch. They both had coveting and idolatrous desires, greedy desires for someone else. In the context of Ephesians 5, this seems, this covetousness that he's bringing up, seems to center in and have um, a contextual wrapping paper in sexual immorality. And we've seen it in the New Testament. We saw it in the Old Testament. And we see it even in our own lives. So all impurity. Covetousness. He goes on then to say that of filthiness. He, he says, but sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And then he goes and says, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk. Nor crude joking. And then he says, which well, are out of place. These don't fit in the life of a believer. Right? So you got this filthiness, and then he speaks of foolish talk. This is the only place in the New Testament the Greek word for foolish talk shows up. In the Greek, it is morose. It's used only here, and it really speaks about silly talk that comes from the mouth of maybe someone who is. A drunk might babble ignorant words that have have just foolishness as their aim. Or maybe someone who's just speaking out in potty mouth, right? And I clean up even that description. This is foolish talk. And it is a step under what he goes to next, which is coarse jesting, some of your translations may say, or crude joking. This is crude joking, coarse jesting. This is talk that leaves little to your imagination, right? If, if foolish talk was just kind of ignorant babble that is base at its um, uh, core, then crude joking is it's that, it's that ability or uncanny ability to take any point of conversation and flip it and make it inappropriately sexual, right? And he's saying... This is not only inappropriate, there's no place for this in the the life of a believer nor from the mouth of a believer. Why would the mouth of a believer ever think this would be appropriate speech to come out when there's something much more appropriate for the mouth of a believer to be expressing? So Paul provides not just a list of poisons to avoid in which you're taking them with your eyes, participating with your bodies, and speaking with your mouth and your tongue... But he offers an antidote for its damaging effect, the poisonous effect of that kind of activity or speech. And that antidote to sins of a poisonous tongue is found in the second half of chapter four. Go there with me. Let there be no foolishness nor foolish, I'm sorry, filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place. And then he says this, but instead, Let there be thanksgiving. Out of the mouth the heart speaks. For believers who've been adopted by the great I Am and granted an inheritance in His Son, speech should not be wasted on such base level talk, but should be pouring out in thanksgiving. You know the people who are most prone to be void of thanksgiving? It's those of us who find ourselves discontent with the provision of God. Discontent with the blessing of God. Discontent with our identity in His Son. It's not going to be on our tongue or in our heart to to be pouring out thanksgiving. So we default to other things. We default to the language of our first nature. And Paul's saying, it's not fitting. There's no place for that. Psalm chapter 7, verse 17, from which we read this morning, um, says this, I will give thanks to the Lord, the thanks due to His righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Did you hear the heaviness of the psalm that we read? It was hard to hear, hard to read. And he's even praying and saying in that psalm, Judge me according to my righteousness. It's spoken of someone who realizes that the only righteousness is me, is Jesus. I'm an utter failure apart from Christ. And as such, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to His righteousness. Thanks be to God that this Christian life, this walk of imitating God, is not left solely on us in our ability, but Christ in us. The hope of glory. He's provided us an antidote to sins of a poisonous tongue. And now next, starting at verse 5, he's given us reasons. And I want you to hear these reasons to avoid these poisons of sexual immorality and greed. I'll point out two. I could have added a longer list had I gone back to verses 1 and 2, which um, we, we had shared with us last week with Mark. And Mark said, all of the things that follow the word as provide for us reasons to imitate God, right? So add that to your list if you would like. I'm going to share two. Mine are a little, unfortunately, heavier because the text demands that they be. Here they are. Let me read verse five first. <clears throat> for you may be sure of this, Interesting way that Paul puts that language. It's as if Paul has said this over and over and over and over again during his 18 months to two years of teaching in Ephesus. You've heard me say this. Take this to the bank. You can count on it. Or in this language, you may be sure of this. And then he says what they may be sure of. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, all of the things he's just mentioned. Has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. No inheritance? Didn't the latter part of our memory verse from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13, 11 through 14, also give us good news that we were banking on? In him we have obtained. An inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So that we, we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And then he goes on to talk to the Gentiles. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in His name, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who's the guarantee of our salvation? The guarantee of our inheritance. So now all of a sudden he's saying, listen, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater. He has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. First reason to avoid the poisons of sexual immorality and greed is that There would be no inheritance for those who have that as their diet. Before I offer a potential clarification and correction, let me offer the second reason, verse 6. I'll come back to a point of clarification. Verse 6, in addition to no inheritance, is God's wrath. God's wrath. Listen to this. Paul writes, let no one deceive you with empty words. In other words, don't let some false teacher come in here and say, listen, it's all about the soul. Live as you want. Sin in the body because all that's forgiven. You can, you can live as you will. Eat, drink, and be married because tomorrow we die. He's saying, don't let false teachers deceive you. Don't let them think that you can make a prayer statement to God and then live as if nothing ever changed because that is incompatible, right? Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Paul's being as clear as possible here. Authentic believers, those who are genuinely converted, will spring forth with a new ethic of living. They'll spring forth from the gospel with a new ethic of cravings. They'll spring forth with a new way of living. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Let me offer this point of clarification. Because you could be sitting here in this room struggling to fight the temptation of sexual immorality, you're a believer. You're still kind of wrestling through with some of the holdovers of that old man that's, that's rearing its ugly head and you find yourself, oh, I did it again. This is not speaking to the person who is struggling to fight against sin. This is speaking to the, to the person who is indifferent to sin. He's speaking and saying, listen, if if you're making a practice of sexual immorality, if you're making a practice, and this is what defines your life, this kind of language, this kind of activity, this kind of sin, don't kid yourself to thinking that there's been conversion in your life. And he's saying for those people, there is no inheritance. Why? Because people who are of the inheritance have been granted in grace a new ethic have been granted and graced a new life. There's a change that's been wrought. Not perfection, but change. They're still within the believer, even after mess-ups, which, as I recall last week, even Mark said, I'll probably sin sometime today. Right? I say just to lighten the mood here. But case in point, or to be real... The absence of those kinds of thoughts of, hey, this is displeasing to God, is an indicator, is a potential indicator that, hey, maybe I have no inheritance because maybe I've not been genuinely converted. He doesn't leave us there, he moves on the text to verses 7 through 10. And whereas we began to look at this study, under-imitate God with walk in love. And I hope you see why we're saying walking in love. Because the love of Christ compels us, and also the love of Christ and others will cause us to live differently than what sexual immorality demands. Now we look at this, walk in light, and my time is quickly going away from me. Verses 7-10. through Let me offer you a couple things about what he says here first the text therefore do not become partners with them who is them these people who have as their practice sexual immorality these people who have as their the fruit of their life impurities filthiness crude jesting and he says don't listen run from that don't join in because the the gang and groups making comments that are getting a laugh from other people. That's not how we live. Therefore, do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. From verses 7 through 8, walk in light. I add this encouragement from Paul. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Again, Paul begins this next section with a command to abstain. This time, it's close participation with folks who are walking in sexual immorality. Partnership with, with things that are relishing in sin in general, in sexual immorality, impurity, and greed in particular. However, this time, he does so pressing in. He's pressing in on the believer's new identity, his new nature, and his new life. When we studied Colossians chapter 1, we came across a great truth from verses 13 and 14 where Paul said, this is what happened as a result of the gospel. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And Paul again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 wrote of the newness of new birth, the newness of new life when he said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Remember who you are. That's what he's he's pressing in on. And then he says this in the second part of verse 8 and all of 9. And it's my language. We'll read the text in a second. It's just this. Be led by the Spirit, not your body. Be led by the Spirit, not your body. Watch what he says. Walk as children of light. And then he, in parentheses in my Bible, it goes on to say, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Do these three things sound familiar to you? I bet they do. They come from the fruit of the Spirit, right? So it's almost as if Paul is mixing his metaphors here and, and we look back at Galatians chapter 5 to get the complete teaching and list of what he says there about what to avoid and what to walk in as we're going to walk in the Spirit and, and walk by the fruit of the Spirit. So I'm, I'm going to invite you to turn backwards one book to Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. I'll hold my comments to a zero and just read this passage until we get to the fruit of the Spirit which he's mentioned here in Ephesians chapter 5. So Galatians 5, verse 16, he is saying the same to a different group of people. This is actually the first letter that Paul wrote um, in response to his first missionary journey. And he says this, I, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, you won't give in to them. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And I'll just add this. In most list of vices and poisons that Paul provides in his letters, to avoid, that's not fitting in the life of a Christian, it's not helping you imitate God at the top of his list, is sexual immorality. And here again it happens. And I've lost my place. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Then he goes on with a long list. I'll read quickly. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, hear this clarification. It does not, he's not saying that if you slip up as a believer and revert temporarily and and mess up on your face and maybe do that every day. (laughs) Mess up every day is what I mean. But you find yourself broken over that and repenting and confessing your sin before God, then He is faithful and just to forgive you of all sin and cleanse you from unrighteousness. But if that's the pattern of your life and nothing physically changed, then He's saying, listen, there's there's an issue here. And he's saying that issue is that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, finally, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. Verse 10, and and finally, I'll I'll wrap this up here, is that um, in addition to remembering who you are and being led by the Spirit, not your body. Verse 10 says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And that's exactly what it says. It's, the, it's my point and it's the verse. Paul will go ahead and say it again in 1 Thessalonians 5, for he says, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every evil. He closes this passage um, with with what I will say is one more charge and a reminder of the Great Commission. And he does so under a heading of what I've written here is Be Illuminating. If you'll allow me just to read this passage and make two closing comments. Here's the final charge that he gives. Listen, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. In other words, run from it. That's the final charge. And then we get to read... We're referring back to the Great Commission here. Because we as believers are to, as we're imitating God, we're walking in love. And if we're going to walk in love, we're going to care enough about each other to say, brother, sister, you seem to be diverting from the path. I want to illuminate what's going on in your life and shine the light on sin so that you can walk in freedom, walk in life, and walk in victory, the abundant life that Christ has died for. And he says this, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In light of sacrificial love that springs from the gospel and our calling as ambassadors. Ambassadors of reconciliation. Believers are called to shine the light on life-robbing and death-ushering and enslaving sin that starts as a drip of poison. And then, folks, we become blind to our sin. And we need the loving help and care of our brothers and sisters in this room to say, I love you enough to challenge you with this. Turn. Let me walk with you. Let's imitate Christ together. Today tell you what I'd like to do is Wednesday night walk you through something that the Lord kind of turned the lights on for me this weekend in my study as a parallel application from Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. As I was reading Saturday morning, Matthew chapter 7, I was struck in the heart at how applicable his words are there to what Paul is saying here. Not least of which, when he gives the, the um, basic premise of teaching in Matthew chapter 7 to, hey, how you want people to treat you, treat others, is, is a reminder for me that I'm to be helpful in the life of my brothers and sisters. But I'm also to be praying to the Lord, Lord, I need your help. And also, listen, I want to help people mind the specks in your own eyes. Right? Do you remember when Jesus said, listen, don't judge lest you be judged. And don't worry about the speck in your neighbor's eye until you deal with the log in your own. I'm mindful I have logs in my eyes. And I don't want to avoid the log so as to deal with the speck in you. But I need brothers and sisters who see things in me and love me enough to say, hey, I want to challenge you with this. And Matthew's recording of Jesus' teaching is saying, don't we all want to see each other walking in health and abundant life and the absence of condemnation and in grace and victory in Jesus? Then we need each other to help point us to the gracious gospel of Jesus and away from temptations to gratify the sinful nature of our flesh. People, run from sin. Run from sin. But if you're finding yourself unable to run from sin right now like the quagmire of concrete, call upon help, brothers and sisters in the Lord. But most importantly, a empathizing, Sympathizing and understanding Savior who's gone through everything we have, but without sin. You can trust Him, lean in on Him, imitate His Father by being loving and illuminating by His grace into the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want as a church to reflect not the culture, but your holiness. We desperately want to imitate you and your love and your holiness. And we're desperately incapable of doing that on our own. We fall short at every turn, we find ourselves longing for Egypt and thinking that we had it pretty good when we were there. Lord, thank You for Your patience with us. Thank You for Your grace toward us. Lord, continue to work sanctifying work in us so that that the things that were tasteful for us when we lived in darkness will grow more and more and more and more distasteful to us now that we are light. Lord, help us to shine and reflect your light, for your glory, and by your grace, we desperately need your help to walk in holiness. But that's what we want, Lord. And would you ever make it more ever increasingly our desire? Or would you remind us, even as we go through this day, of the gracious things of the Gospel for which we have to be thankful? and content and rest our heart in You as a, an antidote for our wandering eyes and hearts toward things that never will satisfy. Thank You for doing this. We ask You to continue. Lord, before I say amen, Lord, would You comfort those in this room that are struggling with sin as we speak? Maybe there's a habit in their life and they, they desperately want that habit to be gone. Would you empower them through your Spirit? Would you have men and women come alongside them as is appropriate to their own gender that will love them enough to pray and wrestle with them and to cling on to your Word and to seek to discern what is right and pleasing to you? And would you cause that to be realities in each and every one of us? But would you issue grace and mercy to the heart of those who feel defeated right now? And may they rest in the goodness of you, in the goodness of the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.